May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. Sleep, sleep, sleep. It's magnificent and nice. With dreams beyond wonder. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Eyes tightly closed. Little smile on your cheeks. Feeling the warm sensations. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Forgetting insane things of the mixed world outside. Relaxed, my little one. Feel the gentle breeze. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not weep. Wake up fresh in the morn with a recuperated mind. Fresh and blessed with a wonderful sleep. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Poem by James Jaron. For most with fibromyalgia, sleep is anything but restorative. It is more like a pessimistic proposition. I ask the question, if you could describe your sleep poetically, how might you describe it? And here are some poems that so eloquently describe the struggle. The tossing and turning, the aches and the burning, the needles and pins awake all night. Here today, gone tomorrow, problems with sleep brings me sorrow. The elusive part of everyday life, when the body and mind recuperates. I crave it so much, but it escapes me so often. When I do catch a hold of it, I beg it to stay with me and try to hold on to it. But it disappears again as I dream. I wake to find that sleep has abandoned me again. Elusive sleep, counting sheep, breathing deep, want to weep. You know, we were designed to sleep and we're designed to be restored when we sleep. Well, most of you will acknowledge that sleep's important and I should be getting better sleep. And sometimes the anxiety occurs because you are not getting enough sleep and you know you should. And it's extremely frustrating. On this week's episode, we will start the first of a several-part series on sleep and fibromyalgia. There will be many questions that we'll go through. This week's episode, we'll talk more about healthy sleep and what it looks like. And then on subsequent episodes, we're going to talk about common sleep disorders and ways that people who have chronic pain and fibromyalgia related problems struggle and hope to give you some insight and greater understanding on the mysteries of fibromyalgia. 
This is the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am board certified in internal medicine, pediatrics, and in lifestyle medicine. I'm also author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. My goal is to help people go from just learning to live with to conquering, to reversing, reducing fibromyalgia from whatever level you are at now to even to the level of those unaffected by fibromyalgia. Remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not replace a visit with your medical provider, but hopefully helps you on your journey to learning more about evidence-based ways to help you live healthier and better lives with fibromyalgia. And now on to this week's episode. Well, today I am so excited to have a special guest to join us so we can learn more about fibromyalgia and related problems. Her name is Dr. Brittany Meyer. She's a board certified in family practice and then said she didn't have enough uh, learning there. So she decided to become a sleep medicine specialist where she dedicates all of her professional time to that. So that means that when she's not sleeping, she's spending half her waking hours or so helping people sleep better. She also is married and the proud mother of two healthy under two year old little ones. So, and she just got back from Rome. So uh, uh, yesterday, so she's uh, adjusting to the new time zone. So that's a whole nother story with a uh, jet lag, it's probably 10 o'clock in Rome right now when we're recording this. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Yes. It's one of those things I say, you know, do as I tell you, not what I actually do. So <laughs> it's, we, we do our best. You know, when we start the first year in medical school, from what I recall is physiology in a sense, we learn how the body's supposed to work normally in the first year. The second year, we find out every possible way the body can not work perfectly. And that's kind of pathophysiology. For many people who have fibromyalgia, sleep is a big problem and normal sleep is just wishful thinking. Can you share what normal, healthy, restorative, physiological sleep looks like, starting from the beginning and then working throughout the night and then waking up in the morning? So I think first you kind of have to look at what is sleep in general. So sleep is that like semi-consciousness, but it's supposed to be easily reversible and self-regulating, but it really is essential for survival. And it occurs in all living animals at some point. But what sleep is, is so it's really characterized into REM sleep and non-REM sleep, which are the different sleep stages with it. So you start out in non-REM sleep, which is, we look at it as there's basically three stages of sleep and then REM sleep. So stage one is your very light 
transitional sleep. And I always tell people, this is like when you're falling asleep, but you're still semi-conscious. So it's when you fall asleep on the couch and somebody says, hey, go to bed. And you're going, no, but I can tell you exactly what's happening on the TV show. Technically, your brain has already started falling asleep and your body started asleep, but you're not fully asleep yet. And that usually is supposed to be less than 5% of your entire night with it. Then then the second time, which we spend about 50 to 60% of the time in is stage two sleep, which is kind of your moderate sleep. And stage two sleep is actually really important because it's where a lot of the cognitive and your bodily function with the metabolism and your hormones actually occur within that N2 sleep. And then you have stage three sleep, which is really the deep sleep that is really important for growth and it does the cell rebuilding and repair. Interesting is by the second degree of life, it actually drops by about 40%. And then for whatever reason, we don't really quite understand it yet, especially in men, it tends to completely disappear with it. Did you it. say second degree or what second year? Or what did you say? Yeah. So the second decade of life. Oh, decade, so, decade of life. Okay. Hey, it's really important for the girls. So you see it in pediatrics, but by the time you get into your teen years, it's, it's already dropped by 40% because we're not growing nearly as much or rebuilding with it. Does that correlate uh, with puberty too, depending on where they, when they're finishing yeah. up? Exactly. And then you get into REM sleep, which is the rapid eye movement. And it's really interesting because this is really where your brain activity is very similar to your wake. It's where dreams occur, but you also lose all of your muscle tone. So you become paralyzed in REM sleep. And this is where a lot of your regulating of your hormones that control like your stress and your hunger and appetite, growth and healing, and all of your biological rhythms is kind of based in REM sleep. All of those hormones and all of that healthy regulation that she discussed is so important to our overall functioning and well-being. It's not uncommon if your sleep is off for men that... That can cause low testosterone. It can affect cortisol, can affect growth hormone, can affect how our immune system functions. Unfortunately, for many who are listening, whether you have fibromyalgia or you don't have fibromyalgia, we don't prioritize really good sleep. Now, many who have fibromyalgia may wish they were getting good sleep, and there may be other struggles that are making it much harder to get into that healthy, deep, restorative sleep. Dr. Meyer continues to talk more about this REM sleep. Your REM sleeps only about 20 to 25% of your completely night or your night. So what happens is you fall asleep and then you start going through these cycles. So you go N1, N2, N3 if you have it, REM sleep, which it varies a little bit from person to person, but should be about every 90 to 120 minutes is kind of where that cycle happens with it. The other thing that I will tell you is as we get older, we actually start sleeping more in chunks too. It's why when you go to the nursing homes, you have people that will sleep for three or four hours and then they'll get up for a couple hours and then they'll sleep for another three or four hours. That's normal, but I get a lot of people that come in with insomnia because they're not sleeping seven or eight hours straight with it. The next question that I always get is, well, how much sleep should I actually be getting? Um, and so 
I always kind of say it really depends on what kind of stage of sleep because definitely we see in like pediatric population is most, I mean, up until you're 18 years old, you really should still be getting about 10 hours of sleep a night which in our society does not happen. And for an adult, so the American Academy of Sleep Medicine recommends at least seven hours to sleep. Most people get between seven to nine hours is what's recommended. But there's a huge kind of individual variability in this that we have short sleepers that, you know, genetically, they're able to function on four or five hours of sleep. And that's completely okay. Like they can do that. On the flip side is we also have people that need 12, 13, 14 hours of sleep. And that's technically normal too, that a lot of that is influenced by like the genetic, behavioral, you know, your medical and environment factors all kind of play a role in that too. That's kind of sleep in normal sleep in a nutshell. <laughs> and, and I think to say the obvious is when you wake up from healthy sleep and throughout the day, you should feel rested. Yeah. So you should feel rested, ready to go when you wake up in the mornings with it. The other thing is, is that I will say, because it's kind of a misconception out there, remembering your dreams, like really, honestly, you shouldn't remember your your dreams. Because if you're waking up out of REM sleep, that means that something else woke you up. But technically, we're supposed to wake out of that N1, N2 type of sleep. Also, when you're looking at generally those time ranges, especially looking at adults, that healthy range in that seven to eight. And often if you get out of that, the norm is if you're getting a lot more or a lot less, it's more likely, much more likely there's a sleeping problem. And of course, if you're that rare, exceptional genetic person that needs very little sleep, but they would say, but I function great. And they're not living on caffeine and other beverages that are really supplementing. Oh, I'm fine. I can live on five hours of sleep and two pots of coffee and other things. That's not really genetically that you can live on five hours of sleep. Exactly. (laughs) Another important caveat about caffeine, especially higher consumption, is that caffeine has an analgesic or pain relieving effect. And regular consumption of caffeine can lead to a a tolerance. Many people may use it for chronic headaches or migraines and also associated sleep deprivation. When the caffeine is stopped, that can actually lead to rebound headaches. And getting at the root of the problem, it might have been just not having a good sleep hygiene, but also could have an underlying sleep disorder where the caffeine is being used to compensate When I am evaluating someone and looking at their caffeine consumption, more than one or maybe two cups of coffee or equivalents a day should prompt me to wonder, is this a compensation for problems with sleeping? And very often I find that it is. Now that we've gotten a chance to talk about normal, healthy, physiological, restorative sleep, It's now to talk about all of the ways that sleep can be abnormal and lead to a myriad of problems. What are symptoms and what are signs that you, if you are living with fibromyalgia, should consider 
getting evaluated for a sleep disorder or for just people in general or if their loved one, you're wondering if they might have a sleeping disorder that isn't normal and they should get further evaluation by a physician or sleep specialist. So it's interesting because sleep sleep overlaps so many other aspects of your health with it. So, of course, I mean, everybody thinks of the snoring, the witnessed apnea or the pauses of, in breathing, or but it's not the old guys that are snoring that are like choking back to breath. I mean, snoring technically is audible breathing. So women that come in often get, you know, delayed and diagnosed because, well, nobody's complaining about snoring. And technically, if you can hear their breathing, that's an issue because there's some type of collapse happening during their airway. Other symptoms is, you know, insomnia can actually be a symptom of a sleep-related disorder or breathing disorder because we just talked about that in one sleep being so in that transitional component. So when you have these pauses in breathing and it activates your sympathetic nervous system, it's your fight or flight response. So you literally get little jolts of adrenaline in your system. Then you wake up and you have problems going back to sleep. So it's not common for me to treat sleep apnea and people's insomnia are um, better or if you're waking up in the middle of the night. So you're they're starting to fall asleep in that twilight already. Their mm-hmm. airway in their body is and uh, some of those skeletal muscles that are in the throat that are voluntary get relaxed and the airway starts to collapse, laying in twilight, watching late night games or a movie or a show. And they start to, if they're having sleep apnea in this case, start to collapse their airway. That collapsing yeah. is like, uh, causes an adrenaline release. Yes. And then it makes it difficult to fall back asleep. So you have, I mean, you'll be up for 45 minutes to hours trying to go back to sleep. Same thing if you're waking up, if you have a lot of arousal story in the night. Dr. Meyer brings up important points about sleep apnea causing arousals. But for many of you, there may be other things that are causing you to be woken up at night that could be caring for a newborn or a child. That could be hearing the noise of your loved one who is having sleep apnea that's not treated or very loud snoring, keeping you awake or neighbors. People think, oh, well, I have to go to the bathroom. Well, are you waking up because you're waking up from something else? And in our brain, since we're taught, since we're kids of, well, if I wake up, I must have to go to the bathroom. So nocturia or urination at night is another symptom. It is interesting to note that having resolution of the nocturia, the nighttime urination, is actually one of the most satisfying things that people report, especially men who have sleep apnea. And when their sleep apnea is treated, often that gets better and that's such a big relief for them. Dr. Meyer shares other symptoms of sleep apnea and disorders. Fatigue. My, I mean, I get referrals over from neurology for like migraines high blood pressure that's not being controlled or high blood sugars with diabetics or other symptoms of it. I get a lot of patients that are having problems with weight loss, that they're doing all the right things and the weight's not coming off because they're not sleeping well at night. 
this is somewhat of a catch-22 because one of the treatments for sleep apnea is actually weight loss. Even 20 pounds of weight loss can greatly reduce sleep apnea and for some, if there's enough weight loss, can completely eliminate the need for treatment as their snoring drops into a normal healthy range. One of the treatments for weight loss is a healthy diet as well as exercise as most of you know. If you're fatigued because you're not getting restorative sleep, it's really hard to get motivated to want to exercise. And when we're fatigued, we're more likely to want to get calorie-dense foods that don't help with weight loss. They get a dopamine or pleasure release in the short term, but in the long term lead to, instead of weight loss, actually continued weight gain, only leading to this spiral in the wrong direction. We are going to wrap up this week's episode Next week, we will continue this conversation with Dr. Meyer. She will share her story of getting diagnosed with sleep apnea as a young woman in college. She was drinking so much caffeine with sodas that it actually led to severe tooth decay. Thank you again for joining me on the podcast today. Whether you are going for a walk, a jog, a bike ride, in the car, folding laundry, doing the dishes, in the train or airplane, wherever you are, thank you again. And please hit the like, follow, subscribe button, leave a review, please rate, share with others. The more you do that, the more this message can get out there to all those who are struggling. Until next week, go Team Fibro.